0: Week, So we'll start this week. Uh, the sermon is titled. The series is entitled "Living in the Last Days." We're going to take a look at the book of Second Timothy. Uh, in 2019, we studied through the book of First Timothy, and uh, we're going to begin the new year in 2020 studying through the book of Second Timothy. We're not going to. It's, it's a. It's, it's a verse by verse. Uh, exposition of the text, preaching of the text, but we're not going to cover every single verse in the book of Second Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy, so I want to encourage you to read through the letter. It's uh, not too long, and so I want to encourage you to read through it maybe several times as we, as we go through this so that you'll see the connections and the context uh, to the passages that we do cover this sermon series, because we won't cover every single verse. So today's sermon is entitled, Listen to Wise Teachers. It's from the letter of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord and of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The word of the Lord. From letter of 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1-8. Do you remember your favorite teacher you've ever had? Um, the one person who cared for you, who went the extra mile for you, who sparked an interest in you or ignited a passion within you to serve others. I have a few several favorite teachers um, from grade school through college. Mrs. Aker my fifth grade teacher was an excellent teacher. She lived uh, for most of my childhood. She lived like like five houses away down the street, and um, she she managed my tactics, <laughs> my antics. Um, I'll, I'll, that's all I'll do to describe that. But um, she managed my antics and always left me feeling affirmed and. And it challenged me academically in in a really positive way. And I remember what she looks like. I can see her face, her hairdo. Um, I just, you know, all these years later, have this really vivid, real, positive uh, memories of her. And and the other one I'll mention today is Dr. William Mallett's my favorite university professor. Um, a staggering intellect. Man, he was smart. And, and he was so well-studied. I mean, he had worked so hard at developing the giftedness that God had, had given him. And um, he expressed his love for God's word. He just loved God's word. And he expressed it in his teaching and he challenged his students, challenged us to strive for our best. Dr. Mounts taught New Testament and Greek and I took every Greek class the university offered and, and then I took an independent study course in Greek to do further translation and, and part of, of my assignments in that independent study course was to do the data entry to create the first electronic um, Greek New Testament word study cards. You know, where you have the word in Greek on one side, you flip it over, and there's the English word and the definition. And so you could look at the definition and then try to remember the Greek word, turn it over. Well, instead of doing those on index cards or something, he created the first electronic version of that. And, and I got to do the data entry to key that stuff in, and this is back in the days of the five and a quarter inch floppy disk. So, so my children aren't even old enough to remember the five and a quarter inch. They know what it is, but it was already um, old technology by the time they were old enough to, to be aware of that stuff. So, anyway. Um, I got straight A's in every course that I took from him, and I got straight A's in all but one assignment, and that was one assignment in Dr. Mounts' class on the Book of Romans. And, and uh, taking that class was like drinking out of a fire hose. I mean, you you know, you've all said you know maybe okay, I've said this. Okay, I've said. Do they think we this is the only class we have? We have nothing else to do in life but study for this class, right? It was like drinking out of a fire hose. The dude had so much to pour into us, you know. Um, I, but I, I loved every second of it. But one assignment, I got a B plus. The only time in any of his classes that for the class grade or an assignment grade, I didn't get an A. And so he wrote on the paper that I got a B plus on next to the grade. I hope this grade is because you were studying Greek. <laughs> you know. Um, but we had a relationship where I felt affirmed by that statement. I knew him and I knew his heart. And, and and he was he was pouring his love for God's word into a student that he knew loved God's word. And and him saying something like that. You know, it's like one guy teaches another guy. You know, um, and and uh, I felt affirmed by him saying that. And he poured his knowledge and his passion for faith in Jesus Christ into me. And he encouraged me always to love God's word, because in God's word is where we find the truth about Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ offers us eternal salvation. So there was always a really beautiful overarching purpose, and he could say things like that because he had shown that he cared deeply about God's word, and he cared deeply about his students, and he cared deeply about me as one of his students. So when the lesson is done, when the teaching is done, what a person remembers is the relationship. The best Christian teacher, other than Jesus Christ, is the Apostle Paul. He wrote more of the New Testament the Holy Spirit inspired him to write more of the New Testament than any other individual. Paul was not good-looking. He wasn't the most congenial person, but he was a brilliant scholar and well-versed in holy scripture and this morning i want us to focus in on what makes for good christian teaching the principles we can learn today can apply to any setting in life to school to your home to your employment or your business or your retirement um, don't forget that we've all been called to share our testimony and so I want to encourage you to pay close attention today. Before we look at Paul's teaching qualifications, I want to talk a little bit about the letter of 2 Timothy. This letter, 2 Timothy, is the last known letter that Paul ever wrote. The second letter to Timothy includes Paul's final words. The final words are important words. The setting for the letter was a Roman prison cell. Paul had always dreamed to go to Rome, but instead of preaching in the Roman Colosseum, he found himself writing letters from behind bars in a dungeon cell. You know what this tells me? Our ways are seldom God's ways. <laughs> and, and what sometimes what we picture blessing from God, how that should look like, is very different. than than what blessing from God actually looks like. From Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul wanted to see Rome, but duty called, and the Lord guided him to other places to minister. When Paul finally did make it to Rome, He was placed under house arrest. Roman guards lived in his house, but he was free to receive visitors. And later, probably when Nero was emperor of the Roman Empire and was actively and intensely persecuting Christians, Paul was then chained in an underground dungeon. Some must have forgotten about Paul or spoke negatively about him. And Paul cautions Timothy here in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of his prisoner Paul never lost sight of the calling never lost sight of of the leadership of God and the authority of God to lead and, and never lost sight of, of saying well, these circumstances must mean that I'm doing something wrong or that we're doing something so go ahead and speak so some must have been embarrassed and fearful because of Paul's imprisonment in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 Paul says I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal but God's word is not chained when we get to chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. So Paul has this premonition of, of the nearness of his passing from this earth. And it adds a sense of urgency to his message. He doesn't say he knows this is his last letter, but we know from history that this is his last letter. It's the last time... He had an opportunity to pin his thoughts on a page inspired by the Holy Spirit and send them out to somebody or some church and then, and then it be gathered into what we know as the New Testament today. So there's an urgency to his message. The New Testament is about Jesus Christ, not about Paul. And Scripture never records exactly what happened to Paul at the end of his life. But according to tradition... Paul was beheaded he was executed by beheading in Rome so Paul wrote his last letter to a young pastor Timothy who was his prized intern Timothy was in effect the recipient of Paul's last will and testament Timothy was the executor of his will he was to fill Paul's shoes after he was gone Timothy's mission was to be faithful in Paul's absence and what Paul passed down to Timothy Timothy has passed on to us uh, like I said I've titled the sermon series living in the last days in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 Paul says but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days now having read that and said that scripture is clear that we will not be able to forecast the last days. Jesus Christ himself said as much. So this isn't my personal focus, and I don't encourage you to follow teachers who do focus on the timing of the last days. Paul and Timothy thought the last days were coming in their lifetime. And pretty much every generation of Christianity since then has thought the the last days were coming in their generation. Jesus coming back any second. And to, you know, 1900 something years after this letter was written, here we are. So there are more things that have lined up that the scripture says need to happen before Jesus comes back today than there were when they had that expectation, you know, in 80 AD or 100 AD. You know, there's more that's lined up. It could come soon. But how about we live in a way that we pass on. Kingdom of God, in a way that if it's another 5,000 years, the kingdom of God is going to be okay. Because what we know from Paul and Timothy, they will still know because we were alive and helped preserve it, teach it, and pass it on. So um, I don't don't worry whether I know exactly when Jesus is coming back because I think it's really clear in Scripture that that's not a good way to spend your time in. But whatever else Paul knew, he knew it was he was in his personal last days. He was in a dungeon cell, now chained in chains in a time when all the news he got from the outside was that uh, persecution of Christian believers was increasing intensely. So he knew he was close to his last days. You know what in that sense so are we um, we may have a day left we may have a decade left we may have many decades left but all we have is what's left so in that sense however many they are these are our last days so Paul gives us a great example he spent his last days serving Jesus right Timothy then went on to serve Jesus in his time, may that be said of us. Whatever else they say about us, may it be said of us that we spent our last days serving Jesus Christ. What we need in perilous times are good teachers. Paul developed the right credentials. Every good teacher developed several teaching credentials that are absolutely necessary. The first credential that Paul developed was knowledge. Paul was born into a well-to-do family and his parents were able to provide him with a top-notch, sound education. Gamaliel was the educator of his day and Paul was fortunate to study under Gamaliel. That's where he learned the Old Testament, and the Jewish faith. Paul also spoke several languages. He traveled throughout most of the known world and was culturally he understood the distinctives of all the cultures in the Roman Empire and the known world at that day. He debated the leading philosophers in Greece. He confounded the theologians in Jerusalem, and he convicted the hedonists in Corinth. Paul was a lifelong learner, and on his voyage to Rome, the ship capsized, and he talked with the sailors using their own mariner vocabulary. He even advised the captain on sailing in the weather. The next credential Paul possessed was wisdom. Paul was blessed with wisdom from above. As a middle-aged man, Paul discovered the Savior Jesus in a dramatic uh, encounter that, that we, we talk about it as Paul's as encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts wisdom applies these facts well to navigate through life as god intended knowledge is horizontal it helps us with this life and wisdom is vertical we see the world through god's eyes it's important to know the difference between knowledge and wisdom it's possible to have a high iq but absolutely no common sense it's possible to have a string of degrees behind your name and be nothing more than a professional student. Uh, I, I didn't know this man personally, so so I don't know if this applies to him or not. Um, but I, I went to uh, a meeting for a Fuller Theological Seminary, and it was on a trip. I took to Southern California with my son, and uh, and uh, we did some important father-son stuff. Passing on the Christian faith during that trip, and and we, and one of the things we did was was go to this luncheon uh, for Fuller full Theological Seminary. I never got a seminary degree, but I did take some classes from Fuller, and um, so I thought going to this meeting, getting to meet you know some of the profs and stuff, would be cool. So, so my my young son and I sat at a table with. Um, One of the professors and and this other adult man who was like in his mid-30s that uh, uh, appeared to me to be a professional student, Uh, he must have been born into money or something because he was like 35 years old and and had a a bachelor's degree, an MA in in a biblical-related field, a Master of Divinity, which takes longer than an MA, and a PhD and so he was now looking to start his second PhD program had a wife and kids and and had always been a student into his mid-30s and he was eminently educated Um, and and, um, I didn't think anything negative about him other than how do you do that how do you pull that off You know, I was trying to figure out how to uh, support my family and be able to continue my education how do you do that so anyway, there, you know, there are some people out there, and I'm not saying this guy was one because I don't know him well enough to say that, but there are some people that are eminently educated and forever uh, professional students. You might have the gift of gab, you know, easily relate to people and in conversation, make people like you and think well of you, but what you say isn't the truth. Um, You know, we're we're surrounded by people who who can chat it up and and look really good, but what they say isn't the truth. Paul describes that person in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's some excerpts from verses 5 and 7. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Will Rogers, the cowboy what would you call him? He just had all these o- really accurate observations of the world around him, people around him. Uh, he once said, we're all ignorant. We're just ignorant in different fields. You know, um, you can be a whiz with computers, but know nothing about carburetors. Math might be second nature to you, but music is just like a foreign language. You couldn't sing or, or you know, or more play an instrument if your life depending on it. As Christians, we need to know about God and that's knowledge. We need that. but we also need to know God personally, which is a, what an experience with God, by personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I've already described, you know I had my favorite teachers, but I had others that I didn't relate to as well. It's difficult to be a successful teacher without experiencing the real thing, but it's not impossible. Uh, Some people can teach way past what they've personally experienced. In baseball, uh, Sparky Anderson and Tommy Lasorda, if you follow baseball, you may remember they were a couple managers from the past. They were average baseball players, but they were great managers. They manage people to a level way beyond what they ever personally performed at. And Pete Rose, on the other hand, he was a great player. One of the best ever of all time, but he was a lousy manager. He spent a couple of years trying to be a baseball manager and didn't go well. News broadcasters are always quoting from some leading economists economists, I almost said. Economists. Broadcasters are always quoting from some leading economists. Before he ever ran for president, Donald Trump said, an economist is somebody who thinks he knows more about money than someone who actually has money. So Paul was blessed with knowledge and experience that gave him wisdom. He learned the scriptures at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned about Jesus in the house of Ananias after an encounter on the road to Damascus. And then he put those two knowledge bases into practice. And he learned from them and developed wisdom as he applied them in personal experience. And and, uh, he was able to get that experience on three missionary journeys that the Lord sent him on. The third credential in Paul's arsenal was mission Paul identifies himself in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 as an apostle in the Greek word apostolos it means the sent one the sent one sent do you see do you see the mission there when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus he was not only converted he was commissioned God was doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Nobody around Paul perceived it because Paul wasn't a friend of Christianity at the time. But God perceived it. And Jesus spoke to Paul uh, while he had him face down on the ground on the road to Damascus. Um, Not ideal circumstances. Not how you would define blessing from God necessarily. (laughs) Um, Acts chapter 26 and excerpts from verses 16 through 18. Jesus, speaking to Paul, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow, that's a mission. Paul was not a political appointment because he knew the right person. He was sent by God as an apostle to the Gentiles. And if that mission took him to a Roman prison cell, he viewed that apparent setback as God's divine appointment and served God there. Paul had the right attitude toward his students. Paul addresses the letter to my dear son, and it literally means to Timothy, my beloved son. Whether you teach math, or science, or language, or history, or Bible, one essential for every teacher is genuine love. Basic training drill instructors, they apply great pressure and make strong demands of their troops, express all that colorful language for the purpose of improving them so they can fulfill their mission. When I was in basic training, I had a good DI. There was was a man who was in training to become a drill instructor, and he spent some time with my unit's drill instructor and at times was allowed to command us for brief periods of time. And that guy that was in training He was mean-spirited, and he did and said things that didn't serve the purpose of improving his students. Um, There's a saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they may not show it in typical ways, but you can even tell whether a drill instructor cares or doesn't comes out. So Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Here's, here's his his word to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So Paul was loving. He begins a letter expressing that. But he's not permissive. He gives Timothy detailed Focused, not necessarily easy to fulfill instructions on how to carry on. So let's notice how he showed his affection for Timothy. First, Paul prayed for Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul saying to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. That's where Paul began. Think how that must have made Timothy feel. To know that Paul was praying for him.
1: The best way to show love and
0: compassion is prayer. So, bosses, pray for your employees. Teachers, pray for your students. Employees, pray for your employer. And 2nd, Paul was sensitive about Timothy's background. In 2nd Timothy chapter 1, in verse 4, Paul reminds Timothy about his tears. In verse 5, Paul reminds Timothy that, about his grandmother and mother Lois and Eunice and their faith in Jesus Christ. Good teachers know something about their students' personalities and backgrounds. Timothy can be emotional. Some can handle direct confrontation with others, and some you need to tiptoe around. A good teacher does not treat each student alike. Instead, they treat each person fairly. That means they're sensitive to each person's background and temperament. And Third, Paul complimented first before instructing um, Timothy on, on, on his weak points where he needed to develop further um, to be the leader that God is calling Timothy to be. Paul had some heavy assignments to unload, but he doesn't begin with criticism or instruction. He begins with compliments. The open paragraph, the opening paragraph of this letter of 2 Timothy is filled with affirmation. First, 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son. Verse 3, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Verse 4, recalling your tears, I long to see you. Paul left no doubt about his feelings for Timothy. A good teacher encourages first. That made a big difference in the receptivity of Timothy. Paul had a lot of sweat equity invested in Timothy. And he wanted a good future for his protege. Prize intern. Timothy had become a Christian at Lystra. He became a co-worker of the second third missionary tours that Paul had done. He joined Paul as a fellow convict in Rome for a time. And now he is being counted on by Paul to fill Paul's shoes. Paul did more than simply instruct Timothy. They had shared victories and defeats, and joys and sorrows, answered prayers and prayer requests. And that history, that personal history together, gave Paul the right of suggestion in Timothy's life. But Paul lived a consistent life. One commentator said a man's life will always be heard in context with his character. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. When it comes to teaching, an inconsistent life negates your message. Paul served God wholeheartedly. He describes it as with a clear conscience. The Greek word for clear is catharsis. Our English word is catharsis, meaning to cleanse. Paul's conscience was cleansed, not because he was perfect, because none of us are, but because he was forgiven, which all of us can be by faith in Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between the two. Paul served wholeheartedly clear conscience, having been forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody know who Ann Sullivan is? She was hired to teach a student who became world famous That student's name was Helen Keller. And until Helen Keller was seven years old, her doctor said she was an idiot. She was a deaf, mute. Wasn't she blind too? So uh, think about how much input that you and I have. Couldn't hear, couldn't speak, couldn't see. Imagine how limited she was in receiving input. Her. And imagine what her outcome would have, have ultimately been if she was defined by the doctors' comments who said she was a idiot. But um, Ann Sullivan served her wholeheartedly and, and saw potential in her. Ann Sullivan um, her sign language, spelled the words with sign language on her hand because she couldn't see them Um, and so she could feel and and she connected the words that she taught her with physical objects that that Helen Keller could hold in her hand and gave input, stimuli to Helen Keller that she could receive even as, as a deaf mute blind person. As a result, Helen Keller mastered five
1: languages.
0: (laughs) She appeared before kings, queens, and presidents. Anne Sullivan served wholeheartedly. And Anne Sullivan's legacy and how she poured herself into the life of another and, and they were maximized to the absolute peak of their ability. Wow. What an amazing thing. The Apostle Paul served with a clean conscience. And he served wholeheartedly. We have the privilege of exploring his last letter It was inspired by the Holy Spirit recorded for us in Holy Scripture in the New Testament. So, serving with a clear conscience, having a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and pouring yourself wholeheartedly into those around you. I ask this, I end with this question, and I ask it first of myself. all of us. What about you? What about us? What about me? What about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Word. What an amazing life Paul had. I thank you that you enabled him to recognize blessing in the midst of hardship, purpose in the midst of hardship, and I thank you that you inspired him by the Holy Spirit to write down words of scripture, to give them to his prize interim Timothy and to us through your holy word.